Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. I'll be doing the conference call today in place of Rahul. Uh, We can go ahead and get started. Gayatri, can you please uh, identify our first person who will be asking a question? Um, I think I already see a lot of hands raised, but um, if you don't know, go ahead and raise your hand if you'd like to be put in the queue to ask a question. Sure, Rebecca. Ashwini? Uh, Yes, hi. Uh, my question is actually my maternity leave starts on 1st of November and my H4 EAD is valid till 11th November. It's in, it's, uh, in extension, but there could be gap between my H4 EAD status if it doesn't come before 11th of November. So I confirmed with my company HR twice and she confirmed with the legal team that I'm eligible, eligible to get paid for whole 14 weeks maternity leave even if I have gap between uh, uh, my H4EAD status. So my question is getting paid for the days I don't have work authorization. Is it legal? Will it uh, affect our green card uh, down the line? It's kind of a gray area. Normally when uh, there is a gap between the H4EAD validity, um, we usually tell people that they need to stop working and the company should not pay them during that time. Even if you have something pre-approved like that sort of leave. Um, When it's parental leave like that, it is a bit more of a gray area. Um, For example, we know that some companies don't necessarily terminate people when the EAD gap is there. They just uh, kind of keep them on the records, but don't pay them during that time. I'd say definitely it's safest if you are not receiving maternity pay during any EAD gaps. Um, But if you and the company decide to go forward with receiving your parental leave pay for the entire time, even if your EAD new one doesn't arrive soon enough, um, you could definitely make an argument, I would say, at the I-45 stage if it comes up. Okay, Gayatri, could you identify our next? Uh, sure, sure. Samir? Uh, hi. Uh, I had a question regarding follow to join. So let's say um, uh, during a, a green card application, the primary got approved, but there's a follow to join I824, which is pending, and the dates retrogress. So how does the follow to join process get affected? Is it better to simply file an F2A application in that instance? 
So the I-824 was already filed before the date yes. progressed? Yeah, that's kind of hard to say. Depend, are you in the EB3 category, Retrogress? Yes, yes. So okay. uh, I already have a card. You already received yours? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is kind of hard to say, and it depends I'd say on how long EB3 will remain retrogress. I would say in the next few months, if it looks like it's not moving forward anymore and it's not expected to, according to comments from the State Department, um, yeah, the F2A may end up being faster. I would say there's probably no harm in going ahead and at least filing the I-130 if you have not already. Yeah, I've already filed the I-130. Okay. Yeah, then um, the priority dates are still current for F2A right now. And at least um, from what the State Department has most recently said, they're not expecting F2A to, you know, retrogress or you know, go into uh, an actual priority date. So if it looks like it's going to be stagnant, I would say it probably doesn't hurt to just go ahead and start the consular processing once uh once you can, now that the priority dates are current there and are not expected to retrograde. All right, great. thank you. Sure. Hey, hi. Hello. Can you, can you, can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so Rebecca, quick, quick question for you. So when we renew our EAD and AB based on pending AOS, Mm -hmm. Do we need to ref do we need to file the application with a filing fee or is it free? Like I'm always confused with that. Yeah, there's no filing fee to file the I-765 and I-131 when it's based on a pending I-485 application. So you don't need to attach a check or anything like that. Um, you just need to definitely make sure to attach a copy of your I-485 receipt notice to show that the EAD and AP are based on a pending I-485. Um, but yeah, there's no filing fee. Got it. And do you need birth certificate as well or no, don't really this time? Um, I usually don't include the birth certificate again because it's already included with the I-485. I'll really only be looking to see if it's based on a pending I-485. So kind of just that receipt notice and um, any recent visa documents like I-94 um, passport, that should be fine. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you can file one or two days before the, before the date, correct? Yes, and we recommend that you do, especially if your party date is retrogressed, um, go ahead and file it as early as you can, which is six months before the current expiration. You do have a 180-day automatic extension for I-485 EADs, um, but you just never know. We have had some people um, getting close to the end of that automatic extension and are still waiting on the EAD, so do file it as early as you can. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bhavya? Bhavya? Hey, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hey, Rebecca. So uh, my current standalone H4 EAD is in processing. So is it okay to travel out of the country or do you think like my current application will get, you know, like RFE or it will get denied? It's a standalone EAD. I already have H1 and H4 approved. Okay. Uh, technically, that's fine. If it's just the I-765 that's pending, you are able to travel and come back in 
Um, and it shouldn't affect the I-765 processing because the I-765 itself is not related to your status. So as long as you are coming back in H-4 status, um, then the I-765 can continue. Okay. And do we need to get an IE letter if I travel after 8th of November? Sorry, did you say NIE letter? NIE letter after um, 8th of November. You should need to. We are, so it does seem pretty definite that on November 8th, the travel bans that are in place now will be lifted. Uh, that has been reported directly by the White House, but as far as the actual official revocation of that travel ban, we're still waiting on the exact language of that. Hopefully it is just an across the board revocation for individuals who are vaccinated, fully vaccinated. Um, so if that is the case, if it is kind of a full lift of the travel ban for vaccinated individuals, as has been reported, then you should not need anything related to an NIE anymore after November 8th. Okay, thank you. Sure. Ram? Hi, uh, this is Ram here. Can you guys hear me? Yes, go ahead. So right now my previous power filed an EB3 uh, downgrade petition, but the dates have been retrogressed. And he says that for, uh, it's, 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 he advises me to come back to his payroll because the downgrade petition has been filed and for me to do the premium processing so that I get the EAD card on time and everything on time. Uh, he says that it's better to come back so that if in case of an RFE, I'm, I can support you. Otherwise, it's, it becomes difficult for me to support you because you're not on my payroll. That's one question. And the other thing is, if I don't like go back to his company and get an EAD card, should I jump onto EAD rather than waiting for EB2 dates or something? Okay, so um, at the time the I-140 downgrade was filed, you were not working for that I-140 petitioner? Okay, no. and it's still pending and hasn't been upgraded to premium yet? Not, not yet, because I'm not on a payroll, so he's kind of hesitant doing that. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it definitely depends on the company's financials. If the company is getting other RFEs for downgrades that they may have filed that are asking about ability to pay, then uh, it really depends on the company's tax returns, which we wouldn't be able to speak to, of course. But if they're saying that based on their knowledge of their tax returns and other I-140s that may be asking about ability to pay, then it may be a good idea for you to move back to that company it depends a lot on how many, on which years of the ability to pay are in question, because if it's previous- As far as I know, there's one RFE like uh, recently asking okay. for equity. Yeah, um, moving to the company will help show ability to pay going forward, but it won't necessarily cure any lack of ability to pay from previous years that you haven't been working for the company since the priority date. So you may want to ask them for more details about that, about, um, but if it does look like it's going to take longer, I mean, hopefully the I-140 will just come through soon. So yeah, I would try to get more information from the company about the nature of the ability to pay questionable years in your case, because 
if it is previous years, like I said, you're moving there now won't fix that in the past. Then it's up to the company's tax returns only. I did work for them for five years, but did not stay with them for three years in between. Like yeah, so it's those three years that are kind of in question. If they're worried about those three years, actually, you moving there won't really fix those previous three years. It will only help show ability to pay going forward. Uh, yeah, so that would be one thing. And then, um, but if you also feel like the company may withdraw the I one forty altogether, if you're not, you know, on their payroll, um, you know, in, in order to keep that going, that may be another consideration to, to move. Would it affect, like withdrawing the EB3 I-140, would it affect my existing EB2 I-140? It would not, as long as they filed the EB3 as a new I-140. It is a new. Yeah. As an amendment. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One more question was, do, is it, if I get my EAD card, is it, wise to ditch the H-1B and go into EAD? Um, after the I-140 is approved, that would be fine. Okay. All right, thank you. Bengtish? Hi. Hello, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, hi, Rebecca. So, I have a question. So, my H-1, uh, H-1B extension was filed on February, <clears throat> February 12, 2021. At the same time, uh, perm labor was filed and perm got approved and I-140 approved, but still my H-1 extension is pending. My uh, company attorney um, submitted an inquiry, which which they gave 30 days delay that cost. And uh, the case is upgraded premium now okay it's it's like eight to ten days uh haven't received any response further however h4 uh petition got approved from my spouse and my still h1 is like showing us case it was received for the last eight nine months so what are my options here so the h1 and the h4 were filed together yes and the h4 is approved h1b is not yet no Okay, that's kind of rehearsed. Um, it's, yeah, normally the problem is that it's the other way around and the H-4 takes longer usually than the H-1B to get approved. Um, I would say most likely the H-1B must be approved because USCIS wouldn't approve the H-4 unless the H-1B was approved. It's just a matter of there is something missing as far as the approval notice was either not sent or sent to the wrong address, which does happen from time to time. Um, the case status website um, isn't always updated accurately, um, but my instinct is that the H-1B is approved. It's just a matter of the notice not coming through for some reason. If you have upgraded it to premium processing, I would have your attorney contact the premium processing unit directly. They are usually much more responsive and able to fix things that fall through the gaps like this. Um, so your attorney can email the premium processing unit and let them know um, basically what you just said, like the timeline and um, that the H-4 is approved, but they have no communication yet on the H-1B. 
Sure, thank you. So I have a follow-up question to this. So if my H1 is still approved, it will be approved like until six years of uh, max out, which is Jan 2022. And my attorney is like trying to file another H1 extension with I-140. Um, so while this first H1 gets extension gets delayed, uh, and my attorney in the process of filing the second H1 extension with I-140, can I still continue to work after 240-day rule? Um, yes, if the first uh, H-1B is still pending, the 240 rolls in effect, if it is actually approved, then it's only approved until January, and the second extension will need to be filed for that end date in order to authorize you to continue working. But if it is, um, that, yeah, so your attorney, no matter what, should just go ahead and file it before January, um, even if it the approval notice doesn't come in, they can include a copy of the receipt notice um, and just explain in the second extension application that this was filed, we think it's approved, but haven't gotten confirmation yet from UCIS. Either way, they should definitely file the second extension before January to give you that 240-day authorization. And 240-day rule is come, uh, going to complete by December 25th. Can I still, if my first extension is getting delayed by then and my second extension filed before that, I can still continue to work, right? Yes. Okay. And one last question. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to file H4 EAD for my wife, but she has to go to India this month. Uh, I heard like she has to be physically present in India for filing H4 EAD. Um, uh, in the US. Okay. Yeah, she has to be in the US at the time. Okay. Thank you. Hey, hi, um, hi. Um, uh, I have uh, my I-140 from my uh, EB2 from a previous employer, one of my previous employer. Uh, and I, I, can I downgrade it to EB3 and then apply for uh, the dates like uh, before this month end uh, for the uh, downgrade and as well as for the I-485? Would, would that not create an issue if I apply for my green card from my current employer with like starting perm and then 140 and then subsequent 485? So your party dates are such that for October, at least if you downgraded, you could, your date is current in EB3 for this month? Yes. Okay. Uh, but it's that's with a previous employer? Yes. Technically, yes. I mean, there's not much, they have 10 days that they haven't started yet, but it can be done um, if they get the I-140 prepared and can file the I-485 concurrently in EB3 uh, in the month of October. Um, so they need to kind of hurry to prepare and file that. It would not affect an, a perm or a green card process that you have ongoing with your current employer. If they're getting ready to file the perm or have filed it, that can continue. And um, that could, if it's in the EB2 category, that's fine. Even if it's EB3, you can have more than one green card process technically ongoing at the same time. It just becomes a matter of, at the time, if you're going to have more than one I-485 pending at the same time, you can also do that, um, but you need to make sure you maintain your underlying non-immigrant Status. So if you're on H-1B, stay on H-1B until, if you're intending to file another I-485 and EB-2, for example, stay on the H-1B until you can file that second I-485. Um, and 
eventually you'll need to withdraw one of those I-485s, but not right away. You can have both of them pending. Thank you. Sure. Okay, next question. Prasad? Uh, hi, Rebecca. Hello. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, I got an RFE on medicals regarding my A485 application uh, and I submitted it and they got it by August 11th. So, okay. so is there any rule that they have to respond within 60 days or it's, we can we call the call center? I mean, the number which they given in the RFE. Yeah, we have been encountering that quite a bit because um, on the RFE, they do say, you know, if you don't yeah. within 60 days, you can call uh -huh. on the RFE. Um, you can definitely go ahead and call that number and try following up if it's been 60 days since the delivery of the medicals to UCIS. So if you tracked the, have the tracking information, make sure 60 days have passed since it was delivered to UCIS. Um, you can call to follow up just to make sure they received it. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't, it may not necessarily move them along to actually um, process the case any faster. I would say definitely in August and September, there were a lot of cases where we saw a pretty fast turnaround on the I-45 approval within like a week or so sometimes of the, of the medicals being submitted. A lot of that was because USCIS was under pressure in August and September to approve as many I-485s as possible before the end of the fiscal year because they were you know, under pressure for wastage of green cards, which they ended up doing anyway. Um, at this point, if your priority date is still current according to chart A and you submitted the medicals, um, I would still hope that you would get the approval notice pretty soon because there's no reason if your party date is current, there's no reason why it shouldn't be approved. It's maybe they're less urgent on moving on it now because they it's past September 30th. Yeah. Um, if your party date is no has retrogressed, then um, I would say there's not as much use in following up with UCIS. You could follow up just to make sure they received it, but if the party date has retrogressed, then they can't issue the final approval until it's current again, according to chart A. So it could end up being several months, potentially years, if if it has retrogressed, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, that's what in November it retrogressed okay. in, in October, so that uh, it's better to call now and make sure. That's if it's still current according to chart A, in uh -huh. yeah, go ahead and try calling and see if um, they can move on it. Hopefully, they can approve it this month. Okay, okay, Fine. thank you. Sure, Ashant. Hey, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. So um, I applied for my 485 for me and my spouse, but I, my 485 is approved. So I received my green card at least a month and a half year ago. And there is still no update on my 485. Uh, I contacted through Senator. I raised an expedited request. It's, uh, it's pending since five days now. So my question is, um, is a visa number already allocated for my wife or do, do they need to do that? And do you recommend um, 
I mean, I won't be current anymore starting November 1st. <clears throat> Do you recommend filing it in a family-based? Oh, um, first of all, we have seen that occasionally where I-45s that were filed altogether. Sometimes we have, for some reason, seen like a spouse or one child who wasn't approved at the exact same time as the rest of the family. Um, eventually, as long as some, in one case that I had, it took like four months actually to get the child's approval notice and we never found out why it was, it just took longer. I, we don't know if the file just accidentally got separated from the rest of the families at the USCIS office. Um, so you have done what you can so far following up and that's a good um, move to contact your local Congress person to try to liaise with them. Um, the assignment of the visa number, it should have happened at the time that your I-485 was, was approved. Um, I have had a case actually where the husband's was approved in uh, August. He was the principal applicant and then the wife's was approved soon after um, in October, like this month, not too long ago. And I got a call from the USCIS officer who had to file at the field office because there was an RFE pending for the wife's I-485, um, kind of urging them to submit the RFE response by September 30th so that they could assign a visa number. So we do know that they can assign visa numbers uh, to the whole family before, at that point, it was the end of the fiscal year, but hopefully before the party date actually moves backwards. Um, but it's pretty difficult to know for sure how they actually deal with the, what the delay is. Um, I would, yeah, it is. So, so yeah, so I received my, uh, my file well to uh, Nebraska Service Center. So I received my approval from uh, Nebraska Service Center, but my wife's 485, they recently moved it to um, the National Benefit Center. So oh, I'm hoping yeah. that they are wanting to interview her. That's the reason why they moved it there. Potentially, yeah. So, uh, I mean, so my, my main issue is, I mean, I can wait for the next four months. I don't have any issues with that. Mm -hmm. the, the problem is I will not be eligible for a green card. My wife will not be eligible starting November 1st because I won't mm -hmm. be current anymore. Will they still yeah. continue to pay my, uh, green, my wife's green card or will I go back into the backlog and wait until my date is current again. Yeah, that's what I actually am not exactly sure on because um, I do know in at least one case, they were able to assign a visa number even though they were still waiting on something um, after that month. Um, we don't know if as a matter of policy, they always assign the visa number to the family members. Um, even when they're waiting on something, like if they do need to interview your wife. Um, you may not know for sure until the actual interview when speaking to the officer, they would say at that point whether a visa number is available or not and whether they can issue final approval. Um, there is a possibility that they may not be able to approve it if it goes beyond next month. Um, if is not available. If that's the case, then you may need to look at the 
F2A category and plan to file the I-130 and I-45. Sorry, I think you are muted, uh, Prashant. Prashant? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, uh, so uh, I'm not harming my um, employment-based petition, right, by filing. Family-based? No. Way, if you I go don't... ahead, yeah, there's no harm, definitely, in yeah. filing the I-130 and I-45. Um, okay. So, yeah, you could definitely go ahead and start that if you don't hear something in the next 10 days. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for answering my question. Sure. Raghavendra? Uh, here you go. My, my priority date is 2013 April. Starting November, it's getting retrogressed. What if nothing changed in the by, in laws? So if it takes decades, so my kids are US citizens. So what category I have, like if I want to file, my, if my kids has to file and how many, how, how many years the, even that route will take? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is very disappointing. The Kind of developments in the party did recently. If it does end up in a situation where again, you know, it moves back to basically pre-October 2020, and it is again looking like a years or decades-long situation um, for people who have children who are U.S. citizens. Once your U.S. citizen child turns 21, they are eligible to file a family-based petition for you. Um, they would file for you as an immediate relative. So you actually don't even show up in the visa bulletin because immediate relatives of U.S. citizens, those are spouse, children, or parents of U.S. citizens. They're considered immediate relatives and there's no backlog or there's no visa backlog for them at all. They are considered to have a visa number available at any time. So uh, if it does end up looking like a, another years long situation in the employment-based category, then potentially a, what may end up being a faster route is for your children when they turn 21 to file an I-130 and I-485 on behalf of you and your wife. And there's no, you don't even have to go according to a visa bulletin at all for that. There's a visa number always available. Um, so they could file. So we it. need to. So do we need to withdraw the current 485 at the time the, for the employment? At that time, probably you would need to eventually withdraw it because at the, if you have more than one I-485 pending, you can have more than one I-485 pending at the same time in different categories. It's just when one of them is getting close to being approved, the final approval, USCIS will ask you to withdraw one of them, and then you know you can just withdraw the one that is not. Okay, but what? But what in case if I if you are uh, using the EAD on employment, still still we can file the four eighty five for the uh, immediate relatives. Yeah. So yeah, technically, because the thing about immediate relatives of U.S. citizens, you don't even need to be um, in status at the time that application is filed. What you do need is that your most recent entry into the U.S. needs to be on a valid visa. Um, at that time, or valid, like a, an advanced parole would also um, count for that. Basically, that you haven't been smuggled across the border or entered without inspection, what they call. Um, as long as you're 
most recent entry was valid and with inspection, then even if you're not on a non-immigrant status at the time, then you're eligible to adjust your status as the immediate relative of a U.S. citizen. Okay, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Okay, um, we will need to end the call here for now. Um, and I believe Rahul will be back on the conference tomorrow and that should be at 3.30. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.